recording is on, and I'll just say another quick word of prayer, and we can get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the time of remembrance this morning. We thank you for the time of fellowship uh, with one another, fellow believers, and we thank you now, Father, for the opportunity that we had to sing your praises and to open up your word. Father, pray that you would take me completely out of this message and that you would just speak through me the words that you would have us to hear this morning. Pray that you would just fill our hearts up with the things that you would have us to take from this passage and keep them uh, hidden in our hearts throughout the rest of our lives, the week ahead, Father, and um, the day-to-day that would seek to take us away from you. We just praise and thank you, Father, for the availability of your word to us here, Father, and just ask that you would bless this time once again as we read through your word and as we study it together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Luke 11, and I'm going to be reading... 37 down through the end of the chapter, and I'm reading in the ESV. So I'll read through the whole section, and then we will jump in verse by verse. So Luke eleven thirty-seven. while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, And people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering." As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Once again, may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. So just starting off here, as we've seen throughout our study in Luke and as we've seen throughout um, a lot of other sections of the New Testament and of the Word overall, the Word of God, there's the theme of the spiritual versus the physical. And we can see how Jesus' walk on earth was one of being constantly bombarded by questions and things from the point of view or the perspective of the world and the people focused on the physical, the healings and what they could get, while Christ was always focused on the spiritual and turning everything back to the, to the honor and glory of God, his Father. 
And so especially the unsaved people of this world, we know, have a focus on the physical. And the message is not only for them. And I think, you know, when I say them, I mean, in this case, the Pharisees and the lawyers. I think we can be, and this is where the exhortation lies this morning, we can be just as guilty of being caught up with the physical in our day-to-day lives because it's right there. It's thrown in our face every moment of every day. And there's things that we have to do just to get through life, being part of society, being part of, you know, whether it's work or school or any other thing. And that the temptation there is to let that consume us and to take all of our time. And it takes specific intention to go beyond the physical and cleanse, nourish, and share the spirit that resides within us and those of us who have accepted the free gift of salvation. And as we looked at this morning, the beautiful picture of the fact that that gift is wrought only through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So keeping in mind the dichotomy that we're focusing on between the physical and the spiritual, between what the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers would focus on and what Christ is focusing on here. You start off in verse 37, a Pharisee asked Jesus to dine with him. And at surface value, at you know, face value might be like, well, that's nice, just asking him to come over for dinner. But you can see throughout the, the Gospels and throughout Scriptures that there's always another reason with the Pharisees. They love the lip service and they love being seen in certain ways. So in some cases, it may very well likely be the fact that they know Jesus is powerful. They know he's popular because here's all the people thronging around him constantly. Let's have him come to my house. You know, I want to see him at my house. I'm a Pharisee and he's going to be with me. The other reason that we know well from the end of the section that I just read is that they want to try to catch him and trick him because they hate him, because they are the religious leaders. They're the ones that if you have a question about the gospel, or I'm sorry, if you have a question about the the scriptures and the law of Moses, you go to them. Like They're like, you come to us. We can interpret it for you. We'll help you out. The lawyers as well, and the Pharisees. That's why the lawyers took umbrage to what the Lord Jesus was saying as well. And now here comes Jesus teaching the real truth and sharing the real truth and making them look bad. So they're always trying to catch him in something. So an invitation to dinner is much less of a kind like I invite Mike over to dinner. We want to have fellowship and we want to be together in love. Not this, not I want to be seen to have a powerful person coming to my house or I want to try to trap them and catch them in doing something wrong. And you can see as we move into um, even the rest of Luke, in Luke 14.1, he's invited, and it says that they were watching him carefully. In Luke 20, 20, this is not an invitation to dinner, but it's very similar. It says, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So their goal was always something else. It was always some sort of issue that they had with the Lord Jesus, an opportunity to try to catch him out in doing something. I wish that, I don't wish, but if they only realized how futile of an effort that was because of who it was that they were trying to catch, there's not any chance that he's going to, to, to be caught in a contradiction or doing something. He always had an answer. He didn't have to hear them say it out loud. He knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. And we'll see some of that here in a moment. So 
The example right again, right to the physical. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So one thing to note here just quick before I jump right into that verse is that the Lord Jesus, we talked about this this morning, and knowing all things since the foundation of the world, knowing us since the foundation of the world, knowing all of these idiosyncratic nuances of the relationships with the Pharisees and what's going to happen to him, he didn't shy away. Like, he knew they weren't inviting him there to just be all, you know, in love and brotherly love and, and, and this is great fellowship, but he still went. It didn't scare him away because there was nothing that they could try to catch him in or trap him in that the Lord Jesus Christ was, was scared of or that would cause him to shy away from those opportunities. And most of the time, as we saw when we were in Luke 7, He's even able to teach and minister in those situations as, as any who are present here, as he's really blasting these Pharisees and lawyers, can see and still hear the truth coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke 7, he was able to teach and minister through the lens of the woman who anointed him and washed his feet with her hair and her tears and turned that back around on them and said, you didn't wash my feet when I came and you didn't offer that any of those things to me. Nevertheless, this woman did that with her own hair and her tears. And so the Lord Jesus didn't shy away from these scenarios, but, but embraced them as opportunities to continue to show, show forth his authority and give the honor and glory to the Father. And in terms of exhortation, there's opportunity there for us to kind of apply that to ourselves. Not that we have the same authority necessarily. I mean, I don't the problem with me is that I'm fallible. I'm just, a, I'm just a human. So I hope, that's why I pray that the Lord would take me out of these messages because I don't want to be up here and, you know, I misinterpret maybe or I say something wrong. And, you know, obviously, correct me, please, if I'm, if I'm off base in any of these things. But the exhortation for us, though, is, is that element where we may, because of we're nervous or we're shy or we don't want to be rejected, we may shy away from opportunities to give honor and glory to the Father or to share the gospel with others, but let's not. Let's just put ourselves out there because again, we can, we can plant and we can water, but the Lord is gonna cause the growth and he wants us to go out and at least plant the seed and at least have that conversation. If we get rejected, we get rejected, but he may still work on the heart after that, weeks, months down the road and cause the growth. And he wants us to be a part of that and to take action in faith and in love and in service to him um, and, and go out and to share the good news. So, but again, the Pharisee going into verse 38 was surprised to see that the Lord didn't wash himself before dinner. And whether he said anything about it or not, the Lord Jesus was able to perceive it. I mean, it may just not be recorded. And he said, I can't believe you didn't wash your hands. Like, do you want me to wash them for? Like, it could be anything like that, right? But here it just says that he was surprised. And then the very next thought is that the Lord Jesus... Um, says to him in verse 39 something that was born out of him being surprised. So whether it was verbalized or not, the Lord Jesus knew not just the fact that he was thinking that, but he was thinking that as a, as a detrimental thought against the Lord Jesus. So we see in Mark 7, 3, 4, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. That's Mark 7, 3 through 4, once again. And interestingly enough, and this is just something I noticed, I'm not saying there's a link and this is how it was meant or anything like that, but the Greek translation for unless they wash their hands properly is unless they wash their hands with a fist. And there's a lot of ceremonial dipping. And if they're doing it ceremoniously and they're just sprinkling water and dipping, even that lends itself into the picture that the Lord Jesus in verse 39 is about to show and approach them with where they're not actually washing the inside of the hands. They're not actually truly cleansing and actually doing, even in the simple physical picture, if we're staying with that, they're not actually doing it. It's all for the show and all for the ceremony and all for the observances and all for these you know, ornate um, uh, rituals that they're gonna go through, the ceremonial washings of these things. And even if they're dipping these cups and pots, are they really scrubbing the inside where, where the germs would actually be? Again, this is all staying just with the physical and not even getting to the spiritual yet, which the Lord Jesus does right in the very next verse. Because again, here we are looking at the dichotomy between the Pharisees and their focus on the physical because they don't really understand the spiritual, because they're whitewashed tombs, because they're unmarked graves, because they don't have a heart change and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're stuck on the physical. It's not even that they don't want to go there. They can't. They don't have that. They, they're not entering into that, letting themselves enter into that loving relationship with the Lord Jesus to even broach the, the spiritual. And that's what the Lord Jesus is focusing on. But I thought it was just extra interesting um, if it was really more of like a dipping of the fist there. And I don't really know. I didn't study too much into that. Um, but that would just be interesting, too, about, you know, how they wash their hands. Not even, as we would think, you need to wash the inside of your palms and everything where the germs are going to be. But in verse 39, we can immediately see the Lord's righteous anger against the hypocrisy and blindness of the Pharisees manifested in speech. In verse 39, he says, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So the first part of his statement there is still staying with the, you know, the, the, the relation that he's making, the, the, the comparison or even almost like a parable, the cup and the dish. But he's not talking about chalices and silverware and bowls and dishes and plates. Ultimately, what he's talking about in the second half of that verse is inside, immediately it changes, right? It's not inside, there's still germs and it's still dirty. You didn't get the food bits off. It says inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So it immediately turns now right to the Pharisees because it's easy now for us to see, and thankfully we have the scriptures available to us. We can step back and look at the entirety of scriptures and bring different pieces and parts in. We can see that it says, you cleanse the, the outside of the cup and the dish. And we know that he's talking about them, even though he says the cup and the dish, and, and it brings together the picture that he's making. So ceremonially, you're so focused on these ordinances but the inside, your inside, your spiritual side is not cleansed. It's not washed. It's full of greed and wickedness. And the, in this section, it talks about unmarked grave. But in other sections, we, again, we saw the whitewashed tombs. So they give the outward appearance of a sterling, uh, a sterling spiritual state, 
right? Because again, they're the ones that would say of themselves, like we interpret the law of Moses. We interpret the scriptures. You have a religious question, you come to us. We're the authorities and we're probably gonna charge you for it too. But that's, you know, we'll, we'll, don't worry about that. Um, but on the inside, there isn't a heart change in a relationship with the Lord. So a whitewashed tomb, a beautiful sarcophagus or a coffin, but on the inside, it's just dead, rotting bones. So he goes into verse 40, you fools. So really, like I said before, blasting, like really driving to the heart of the matter here. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Just going after them. Don't focus on how it looks and who you're seen by and, and who hears you say this and who hears your big bag of money clink into the, the offering bowl near the gates when you, when you give your alms and, and all of that stuff. Don't focus on the, the ritual and trying to trap people in what they're doing physically. Did not he, God, who made the outside, make the inside also? And one of the most sobering thoughts to me about verse 40 here is that the one who's talking to them, when I was meditating on this, I was struck by the fact that the one who was talking to them when he says, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? It's, it's him, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He didn't say, I made the outside and the inside, but for us who know, it's so sobering that sitting across the table from this Pharisee is the one who made the outside and the inside and everything else in the entirety of the universe that we understand and the things that we don't even understand, that we feel like we're still, oh, discovering, look how great humanity is, that we're just uncovering the bits and pieces of things that the Lord Jesus had created since the beginning of what we even perceive as time. Because our brother read it this morning when he says, I am. Moses asks for a name and he just says, I am. Before these other things were, not I was, I was way before those, I, I am. He just is. And we can't understand that. How can something just be without having a beginning? How can something just be without having an end? Because everything we know is finite. So everything is encapsulated for us in a mental box, an understanding without which we, we can't go outside of that. And he is outside of that. And sitting across the table from this Pharisee is the one who can understand those things, is the one who created the boundaries that our minds can't even go outside of and begin to understand or grasp. Didn't he who created the outside also create the inside, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. I was reading uh, McDonald's commentary as I was putting this message together, as I usually do, and I got the impression that he took this to mean that the Lord Jesus was instructing the Pharisee to give physical things as like a, an initial show of, of love. And I'm not going to sit here and say, no, that's wrong or whatever. I took this to mean in keeping with what the Lord Jesus was telling him, you need to give of the things that are inside, you know, the things that are spiritual because you're so focused because they did give actually. It goes on in the next verses to talk about you tithe of the mint and you tithe, uh, tithe of the rue and all of the herbs that you give. And we know in other parts of scripture where they did put money into the offering basket and they did so making sure everybody knew how much it was, how big the bags were and it was as, as showy as possible. So they did give 
But again, that's the physical. They were focused on the ordinances and the, the Old Testament law and the ties, forgetting that there needed to be the heart relationship and the change inwardly um, and the love there for God. Give his alms those things that are within. So I took that to mean, again, focusing on the internal, the spiritual. Give those things. We'll look at it here a little bit more, the justice and the love of God that he hits them with in the next um, verse. So give his alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. Because they were already doing the work to kind of cleanse the outside. Again, that's not the most important thing, but they were doing that work already but they were neglecting the inside. So give and share with others who need it. So alms carry with it that word. If you look at the etymology in the Greek, it carries with it a sense of being given to the poor, right? Giving alms. It's not just give to anyone. It's giving alms. It's usually to those who are needy and to those who are poor. And as we think about the things within, the spiritual things, Again, the exhortation for us is to give and share with others who need it. As you may see a bunch of people and they're walking around and they're driving in their Cadillacs and they're, you know, going to their six-figure jobs and they look, they're fine. Like they don't really need a lot in life. But if you were to like be able to flip a filter and suddenly see what they would look like from a spiritual perspective, they may be walking around in rags or destitute, naked, no food, anything. They are needy and they are poor. And if, again, as we look at the dichotomy between the spiritual and the physical, we focus on the spiritual, we would see that there are so many people out there that are needy and hungry and destitute and blind and naked, and, they, and, and we have what they need. We have something that is so much more valuable than all of the money and all of the wealth in the world combined, and we can share it with them. We can give it to them. We can't make them accept it. Again, that's going to be God who works on their hearts but we can share it with them. So give as alms, you know, and again, in looking at this passage, I was really struck by how much of this we can turn and apply to ourselves. It's very easy to say, yeah, those Pharisees and those lawyers, they didn't get it. I'm glad the Lord put them on blast because they deserved it. But if we turn this on ourselves, it's very, very sobering. Um, And I'll get to this at the very end, but the reminders here kind of interspersed throughout the section, give as alms those things that are within even though in the moment it may seem like, I don't really want to talk to so-and-so. They're just going to reject me. They're going to think I'm a weirdo. They're going to think I'm part of some cult and I'm just trying to you know, talk to them about the Bible. And they'll be like, yeah, I know about Jesus. See you later. But just do it anyway. Give as alms those things that are within, recognizing that those people are in, in need and that we have that which they need. We have that which can be shared with them. And, and God will do the work. So let that be our aim as often as we're able. Um, Verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Deuteronomy 14.22 has the instruction that um, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. The Pharisees and scribes were eager to do this. They knew the the Old Testament. They knew the law of Moses. They knew the scriptures inside and out. That's why they were so proud. I mean, it's it's honestly, it's it's a feat. They were experts. I'm not trying to take that away from them. They knew the law inside and out, but they were so focused on it 
and they would carry it out and they would tie the rue and, the, and every herb and the mint as was instructed to them in the law of Moses. But the justice and the law of God, or I'm sorry, the love of God were completely, completely not in the picture in, in their hearts. So these you ought to have done. So continue doing that. You know, if you want to continue tithing because it was set up as an ordinance, it is a good thing to do. It is not the way to salvation, but it is a good thing to do. So continue doing that, but don't neglect that which, was in, that which, was, that which is infinitely more important, the love of God and justice. So Pharisees, lawyers, very eager to point out when others, including the Lord Jesus of all people, are not doing that which they think is so important, following after these ordinances and precepts and, and ceremonies uh, from the law, and, and, and also their fellow man. You know, you should be doing this. We're doing this. Look at us as an example of what to do. When really, if they were to follow after these people as an example of what to do, and we're going to look at this in verse 44 here in a second, they would be infecting these people in, in, in the wrong way, in, in the way that they're doing it and turning them also into whitewashed tombs, following only after empty physical surface ordinances and rituals without any depth and meaning and spiritual understanding. And verse 43 doesn't really need too much explanation. You know, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. This just goes to further underscore the fact that when they... When they go out in the marketplaces, they want to be like, oh, hey, you know, I know everybody. I've got my gold on. I know I've, I've talked to everybody. You, I'm, the, I'm the religious focus. Look at me. Talk to me. Um, respect my authority and, and the greetings in the, in the synagogues. I'm not going to sit way in the back. I'm, I'm going to be up here in the front or I'm going to be standing up in front teaching all of you because you don't know. I know, you guys don't have any idea. You can't understand this for yourselves. I'll tell you how it is. That's, that's what they want. That's, that's where they're at. I, I'm up here now in front of you guys. I, I don't love it. I don't want to be. I feel that the Lord loves it. He wants his word to be shared and proclaimed. I don't think I'm a great teacher, a fantastic teacher, I would just as soon sit down and hear the word of God taught by other people as well, as long as it's done in spirit and truth and in discernment and a love for God and not to be seen. And if I have a suit on and I'm dressed up, I don't care what you guys think, if my suit is nice, if it's not nice, if it matches, if it doesn't match, I dress up for him. I come here with a suit on for the Lord Jesus, not for anybody else. So there are aspects that we look at that we can take into our own lives. My, my dad told me a story where he went to a church. I think he, he was traveling and he went to a, a church and it was a modern church and he had a suit on and a guy stopped him at the door and was like, oh, I don't recognize you, you know, welcome. And he was just doing the, the greetings and it was nice. And he said, just so you know, like you don't have to dress up with a tie and a suit and everything. And, you know, we're pretty casual here. You could wear jeans and something comfortable. And my dad was like, I'm not dressed up for you guys. I'm dressed up for God. I'm dressed up because I'm coming to worship the creator of the universe, not because I think I'm going to be dressed better than anybody or worse than anybody. And that, that stuck with me um, because when we come to worship God, 
it, it's an important thing. You know, again, as we separate the physical from the spiritual, what are we actually coming to do on Sunday mornings? It's why I love the breaking of bread, because we're coming to remember the one who died for us. If we do it every week, if we do it every day, it's not often enough to remember the one who shed his blood for us, who became sin for us. So focus on the spiritual and don't be like the Pharisees in the fact that they, they love the best seat in the synagogues. Give it to somebody else. They love the greetings in the marketplace. Go about your business for the Lord, not for the lip service of others. In verse 44, woe to you for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. I was studying to try to find exactly what this meant and take this with a grain of salt. This was the best thing that I could find or the most likely meaning that I could find related to the fact that in the Old Testament, according to Jewish tradition, coming into contact with a grave would make you unclean, even if you did it unknowingly. In Numbers 19, 16, you can read that if an individual came into contact with a grave, walked over it, touched the whatever, um, they were unclean for seven days. And again, that's Old Testament. That's, that's, that's the law of Moses. That was what was set up as the precepts and the ordinances in that time. But because the Lord Jesus knows that that's what they're focused on, he knew they would 100% understand what he's talking about when he says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. And again, it says in the scriptures that whether you knew it or not, you're still unclean. What, you're like unmarked graves and people walk over you without knowing it. So as you are getting the people to look at you as the authorities and pattern themselves after the way that you're doing things and follow after you, you're leading them down the wrong path. You are causing them to, to be in, infected, you know, as I had mentioned before, like touching all the people around you it, with the wrong way to do it because you're teaching them to emulate you and you're just washing the outside. You're just polishing the outside of the vessel. You're just using what people can see and, and the physical and the authority that you think you have over, the, over the, the law of Moses in the Old Testament and the scriptures as they were at the time to lord that over people. And so people are following after you and they're falling into a pit. They're falling into doing things the wrong way. And they're walking over these unmarked graves and becoming, you know, again, the picture is unclean, but they're, they're basically misleading them and teaching them the wrong ways. They didn't know any better, and now their lives are patterned after this focus on rituals and going through the motions without a heart towards God. And here Jesus is as he shares with others, and there's so many people coming, and they're like, oh, heal me, please, heal me. Oh, here's my friend, heal him, please. His focus is on, always on the spiritual. Because you can have all of that lip service and the best seats in the synagogues and all the money in the world and everything, but what profit is it? And you guys know the rest of the verse, right? You gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. So verse 45 made me, made me chuckle. And I felt bad about chuckling because obviously this is very serious and he's, he's hitting these lawyers and these Pharisees hard, but... I, I just had to chuckle because one of the lawyers is like, hey, you're, you're making me feel bad too. And it's like, the guy should have just stayed quiet, man, because now, now you're on blast because now he's going to talk to you for a little while. So the next several verses are going to be directed at the lawyers. And the lawyers are right there with the Pharisees because they all consider themselves 
the teachers and, the, and, the, and those the experts uh, of the law, right? Those who upheld and knew and truly understood the law of Moses and could not only, could not only be looked at as the authorities, but could then lord that over other people and exercise what they said was their authority based on that understanding of the law on other people. And you go right into verse 46, loading people with burdens that are hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So they understand the law and they're able to use that to to leverage that onto other people, extortion or otherwise, but they don't touch those burdens with one of their fingers. They're not gonna help. They're gonna burden these people to the point of destitution, but they're not then gonna say, wait a minute, that's a, that's a person right there who needs help and I have the means to help them. It's like we talked about before, if you look at the spiritual side of things. And here, the Lord is kind of talking about more so now some of the physical as well as some of the spiritual. And we saw some of this stuff, I believe, earlier in Luke, where there, were, there, there was a question that was asked, like, you know, what should we do? And the, the, the answers that were given were all very, in, in your day-to-day life, that were physical. You know, you guards, don't extort people for money. Like, just, just common sense, good teachings of things that you should do and not do as you go throughout your life. So there's some of that in here as well. Loading people with burdens that are hard to bear. But underneath all of this is that sense that if you did have a heart change and you were loving God and living for God, you wouldn't do any of these things organically. Like by the the nature that is now within you, you wouldn't want to do these things because you would have a love for, for others and not just a love for yourself and your station and where it's gotten you and all the things that you have. Woe to you, in verse 47, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. So these verses are interesting, verses 47, and it kind of goes all the way down, 49. Therefore also the wisdom of God capitalized, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So thinking through how this tied in and how this made sense, the connector, I believe, lies with the fact that this is the generation that would put to death the Son of God, not if you look at the parable, or if you, if you, I'm sure you know the parable, so not the vineyard workers that were sent, the servants that were sent to get these tenants out of the vineyard, but the son of the owner of the vineyard who was sent, who they beat and killed, and who the owner is gonna come back and, and rout out of that vineyard. These, these tenants, these people, this generation would put to death the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Pretty heavy, pretty heavy stuff, right? And as we look at this, again, the temptation is to say like, yeah, those, those jerks, like, 
yeah, tell them, Jesus, but we're humans. And if we were alive back then, can we honestly look at ourselves and say that we would be any different? Would we be more like the disciples? Would we be more like Peter? I'd, I'd rather be like Peter. What did Peter do to the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who that is. They denied him three times, despite saying, no, I would die with you, Jesus. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we're just, we're just like them, right? We're just like anybody else. We can't look at this and say, just like we talked about a few minutes ago, putting ourselves in the best seat, not in the synagogues, but in our own minds, saying like, we wouldn't be anything like this. We're way better. Well, thanks be to God, we have the scriptures and we have the Holy Spirit within us, but we're not, we're humans. We're sinful creatures. Thanks, you know, again, be to God that he saved us through the precious blood of his son, but we are not better. So, In verse 52, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. How have the lawyers taken away the key of knowledge? What is that? What is being referenced here? The lawyers and the Pharisees considered themselves, I mentioned this many times in the last, you know, several minutes, whatever. By all rights, they were, too, experts in explaining and interpreting the law of Moses, viewed as the religious leaders Um, But instead of leading the people to God, to what really mattered, to a heart change, to a relationship with their Lord and Savior, to an understanding of the creator of the universe and his son, now there in their midst, God in the flesh, they didn't want that. They didn't choose that for themselves. They didn't enter into that. They said, no, 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 no. We want to maintain in our station. We want to be the experts. We want to be the authorities. We want people to come to us. We got to kill this guy. We got to get him out of here. And not only that, they didn't lead others to enter into that true relationship as well. The key to the knowledge of God, the key to the knowledge of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they didn't enter into it. And they also barred others from entering into it because if people followed after them, they weren't following into that relationship because they weren't going into it themselves. And I think that's the people of whom the scripture talks about, like it would be greater for them, better for them than a millstone be tied around their neck and they'd be thrown into the deep because they are now misleading other people who could come to a, a, a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this gets into some very you know, interesting territory because obviously God can do anything. He can work. But this comes down to the decisions made by us, the decisions made by, in this case, Pharisees, lawyers, human beings who chose to not want anything to do with God. And something interesting to note here as we kind of round this out, as we look at the last verses in this section, as he went away from there, as he, the Lord Jesus, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Kind of comes full circle, right? Because we talked about that at the very beginning of this section. Um, but something interesting to note here is the Lord is, is, is actively practicing what he's preaching, right? Because he's saying to the, 
the Pharisees and the lawyers and, and all of the people that would align themselves with them, the scribes and the rulers of that time, that you guys love the best. You're in it for the lip service. You want the best seats. You want to be invited to the best dinner parties. Here he is invited to a dinner party. But instead of saying, well, like, well, this is awesome now. I'm with the in crowd. I'm with the popular guys. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of milk this for all it's worth. And I'm also going to abide by what most would consider to be proper behavior at some sort of function like this and good taste. He doesn't do that. He's blasting the people who have invited him into their house to, to have dinner because of the fact that the spiritual that they are not honoring and entering into is so much more infinitely important than that which they're surrounding themselves with, the physical. And those who are there who don't know any better need to hear it said. So the Lord Jesus, in the interest of honoring God and following after God and doing what is right in that circumstance, just ignores what they would consider good taste and, and table manners and the right things to do in that circumstance and, and to, to be honorable to your host and not say anything too offensive and effrontery in that situation. Like he is blasting them, blasting them about their spiritual state or lack thereof. And the reminder again back to us is that don't just go to somebody's house and, and I'm not telling you to do this, but when you're in that opportunity where you could say, I could go talk to so-and-so, it really looks like they could use a kind word and maybe I can like, you know, mention and bring the gospel in. But uh, like when you're on that fence, just do it. Just go and do it, right? Because what is it that's really important there? Your feelings and you feeling like I might get rejected or the furtherance of the, of the kingdom of God and the sharing of the gospel? Obviously, it's the latter. It's, it's infinitely more important the spiritual side of things. But the fact that the physical is just here in front of us and all around us and everywhere, it seeks to crowd in and, and, and take us away from the things that are truly important. So as we touched on when we started, the Pharisees and the scribes are once again in their tireless search for things that they can catch him in. And like I had mentioned earlier, if they only realize what a fool's errand that is and a waste of their time, because he's not going to be caught in anything. The person, they think, a person, just, a, just another person that we've got to get rid of because he's making us look bad and usurping our authority as someone that the crowds are rushing to for answers, that's the God of the universe. He's not going to mess up. You know, you're not going to catch him in a contradiction because what you understand is a contradiction of things that are happening in your mind, synapses that are firing and thoughts that are being formed and, and, and logical fallacies that you might have created. He made all of that. He, he, he made everything. So there's nothing that he's going to be caught in. So finally, as we consider this scathing rebuke of the Pharisees and the lawyers at this dinner, I just wanted us again to honestly examine ourselves through that same lens. I don't think that if the Lord Jesus were here today, he would be rebuking us in that same way necessarily because I feel that the majority you know, of us know the Lord Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. We've entered into that relationship. Hopefully we're not in that circumstance where we would be called whitewashed tombs. But you can scale that back a little bit and say in every moment of every day, are we working towards, you know, you could be like, well, if he were talking to me, 
Mark, it's great that you speak every Sunday, even though you save it to the last minute to prepare. But during the week, you don't spend nearly enough time with me in, in prayer and in reading my word and having a deeper relationship with me. And that cuts to the quick. And I know I need to do it and I need to work on it. And I need to pray to him for the grace to do it. And to just, just again, do it, realizing that that which I would rather put in front of that, that's easier and more accessible to me because it's physical, watching TV or even spending time with my family and things like that, I need to make time for him first. So using this passage, this section, as an opportunity to examine ourselves and think about ways that while we may not be in this same circumstance as they are, because we are now, again, thanks be to God, entered into that loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have him hidden in our hearts and we're filled up with the Holy Spirit, but there are ways that if the Lord was here today, I'm sure that he could tell us that this is what you should be doing. In this circumstance, do this and, and, and think of the spiritual and put it into the put it into the, the place that it rightly deserves above the physical in our lives. So may God give us the grace to do that, give us the grace and the boldness to, to go out for him and to share the good news and to make sure that as often as we have opportunity, we're doing that and making sure that we're not just polishing the outside, but that we are washing and renewing and polishing the inside, the spiritual, by spending time with him and his word, spending time with fellow believers and fellowship, um, and again, just working towards really cleansing the spiritual inside as opposed to the outside. Let's just give him thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this passage that we were able to look at this morning, Father. We thank you for your word. Ask that you would just bless this passage to our hearts, Father. Um, if anything that I might have said is off base and you would not have us to retain it, that you would just cause that to be the case and have us only to retain the things, the truths from your word, Father, that all of us would read it for ourselves over and over again and hide it in our hearts and be able to rightly discern your word, Father, the spirit and the truth. Uh, and pray that, Father, you would just take us from here and cause us to go out throughout the rest of this week in our lives, living for you, Father, serving you, cleansing the inside, thinking about the spiritual so much higher than the physical, Father. And even though we are mired about by the physical, that we would lay those things aside and run with perseverance the race that has been set before us as we pattern ourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ, not on the Pharisees and the scribes. And we thank you, Father, for these things, and we would just praise you and pray them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.